Hey there, Freedom Fighters. My name is Andrew Warner. I'm the founder of Mixergy, where I interview entrepreneurs about how they built their businesses. And just when you thought there was no room for yet another company to be in the recruiting space, in walks George. Not, not just once. This is his second time coming into the space saying, I think I, I've got a solution. I've got something new, something that hadn't existed before. And uh, since George Carollo, who you're going to meet, had started a business before, he said, look, before I get into this, I feel passionate about this. It is a pain to hire. Everyone complains about it, but let me make sure it's a real pain. And let me make sure that people are really willing to spend money on it. Let's make sure that I'm not going down this road and making a mistake. He said, I'm going to try to make money without coding. And so he used, <laughs> you know what? It used to be like, how many lines of code do you write? Or how much coding was the bragging? No, now it's yeah. like how little. Anyway, so he did it. He and his company, Dover, which now does end-to-end recruiting, started out by using um, no-code solutions and a lot of service, a lot of service work to help companies recruit. They got to how much money before you started writing code? Oh, before I started writing real code, probably, probably close to a million error, would be my guess. Maybe a million in recurring revenue, roughly like that. I actually saw it in my notes, so I, I can confirm at least that you've said that several times to our producers. So I, <laughs> um, I want to find out how he did this. I want to find out how he figured out the pain that other people hadn't figured out, how he got customers without writing code, how he got into Y Combinator, what they're what they're doing now that they are coding. We could do it thanks to two phenomenal sponsors. The first, if you're listening to me, chances are you're already using them because uh, SEMrush is the tool that marketers use for both content marketing, uh, social media marketing, and, and paid advertising. And I'm going to tell you later why you should use Mixergy dot com slash semrush as you're onboarding for them. And the second, George, I bet you don't even know about them. In fact, I know you don't because I checked in with you. If you want to hire salespeople right now, different from your whole sales process, but you want to spin them up the way that you might say spin up a landing page, Overpass has got you covered. They've got a marketplace of salespeople and software to help you manage them. I'm going to tell you later why you should be going to overpass.com slash Mixergy. But first, George, I feel like we've got a good rapport here, good friendship. Tell me your revenue. Let's ruin it all with that question. Yeah, no, that's that's fair. Um, we just crossed the seven million mark. Um, Get last out. Month, I think. Yeah. All right. Profitable. Yes. Yeah. We run yeah. basically the thing at break even. Yeah. Why? You got funding. You're supposed to be just below. You're supposed to be using all this money. Yeah. So I think that there's. I can maybe like a religious belief on this, where it's like if you get a company kind of pointed in some direction and basically kind of keep it there. Um, I think that's something I personally like about running close to break even is we have control of our own destiny. I don't know how people sleep at night when they're like, I got six months of runway left or a year worth of runway left. And that just sounds immensely stressful. And I don't know if you can think about building a good long-term product that way. So our, our take has always been like, let's run it pretty close at any moment in time. We don't have to like sacrifice long-term vision, what we want to build to like, you know, close the next customer so we can meet payroll. All right. Last time you and I talked, um, I asked you what Dover does and you said something about end-to-end recruiting. And I, I said, help me understand it. You said, you said something that I didn't fully understand, but today you, you spent some time explaining this and Mark and, and working on your marketing. How do you say Yeah. That? So no, great, great question. Uh, I think so the way it's recruiting or Dover's a recruiting like infrastructure layer. We're the platform that all recruiting solutions plug into. And then we manage that process to actually bring candidates into the company. So when I say like, you know, I'm talking kind of in vague terms here, but basically there's different ways to recruit candidates. And I think everyone would basically agree. There's like, great, you go like email people and you hope that they're interested and they join. You go throw up job ads on LinkedIn, Indeed, what have you. You hope you get good people in. 
you, you know, go to, go, go to your friend network and see if they're interested in joining. Um, so Dover manages all three of those sources and then helps surface those best candidates for you and then moves them through your recruiting process for you as well. So it's kind of the discovery pl plus the process automation. Are you also doing this, the software that helps me manage the recruiting process, see uh, who's in the pipeline? Are you also doing the front end with the application form? And the, you are, you're doing all that. Exactly. And I think that that's when you're joking about us starting, it was really, we just started as like a service business, essentially, mm -hmm. like trying to get this thing off the ground with no code. And it was, you know, a bunch of Airtable and stuff like that at the early days. The, um, and that's kind of maybe that's why we evolved into the solution that we are today, which is we were just trying to find that customer problem and go down that path of what they needed. And we saw they all had a bunch of different tools. And the problem that they had was like, we have all these tools, candidates flying around everywhere. But they got. I got to read 500 resumes to figure out there were two good ones, and I got to like schedule all these meetings, do all this stuff, and that's where Dover plugged in. So to say that's all software, but you're exactly right. Like in the first like version of it, it was just like on Visha, Maxime running around trying to do these things. <laughs> but George, Dover replaces all that software. Is that right? Today, it does. Well, I I don't even know if there's like we you know, we still top these other sources. So you know like. Indeed, for example, right? You go post your job ads up in there. They're going to be great at getting all sorts of different folks in like entry-level sales folks, for example, or like customer success folks. They're a great source for that. So the problem that you have is like, great, I throw my job ad on Indeed and it's like, great, I got like 500 applicants. Now what do I do? How do I, I have to go through them all. I have to like figure out which ones I actually want to talk to. I have to like schedule them. I got to like do second round interviews with them and like all that stuff. That's where Dover really picks up. Got it. And then once, but are you still calling, are you still calling uh, candidates and doing all that stuff? Yeah, so we do the first round phone screens for some of our customers as well okay. um, who, need, who need that support where they're saying like, hey, I got so many folks and we'll develop a rubric with them on like, okay, here's what you want to hear from people and we'll yeah. ask them those questions and deliver that, deliver that high image of the results they want so they can decide if they want to move that candidate forward or not. And that whole Kanban board software, you've got that whole process in your, in your system in Dover. Got it. All right. Exactly. What did you see that, you know what though, everyone's complaining about about recruiting, why didn't you say it's just a tough process? This is this is one of the killer parts of the job, and it's the, the essential thing for for the CEO to be able to do. I think everyone loves complaining about recruiting. It's like a okay. humble brag, I think, for companies where they're like, "Oh man, we're going so fast, we're doing so great, everything's awesome, we got to hire a million people," and it's like a thing that you know you go to the bar and you hear you know overhear some conversations from other folks like humble bragging to each other about how great their companies are or whatever. So I think that that's, so I think that, I think that's kind of like one layer of like people always are going to complain about it. Cause it's a fun thing to complain about at the end of the day, like, Oh, no one's good enough to work at our company or we can't get any good candidates okay. and that sort of thing. All right. So then if they're humble bragging, why do you say, I think I could take this on? So I think the other part is like, there's a real education element going on here around and most people just kind of do this through repetition. We try to do it with data and help our users understand quickly what's going on. But recruiting is a market at the end of the day. There's a bunch of smart people out there, you know, probably a bunch of them listening to this. There's a bunch of people who like are looking for jobs. Um, and there's just an intersection of where those people are going to meet. And I think that's like a Pareto frontier kind of level of like, if you remember like, like Econ 101 or whatever, you're like trying to figure out like, where can I get exactly the right person? Uh, but they're not out of reach for me. And everyone has to kind of become educated on their market for that. Um, example, this is like, Every time we like onboard like a founder, they always basically just, just describe how they're trying to hire like Elon or Zuck. And like, mm -hmm. you know, I want someone who's like done a startup before, they like coded it all themselves, they like learned, maybe they got it to a couple mm -hmm. of dollars ARR, but it didn't quite work. And it's almost kind of like, uh, okay, cool. Like everyone says the exact same thing, but what are you actually gonna get? Like, let's try to help you educate what the market's gonna yield for you. 
Okay. I, I still don't understand why you thought you could solve it, but I guess it a little bit stems from your background. You'd already started a business in the space. It was called Top Funnel. It's still called Top Funnel. What is Top Funnel? Yeah. So they build a tool for recruiters to help them go find candidates, essentially. So they're a Chrome extension. You can go anywhere on the internet and you can go source candidates for, um, for, for your company. So they sell a, a tool to like large recruiting organizations. And they're sourcing it from where? What, where does it look? Everywhere. They'll do stuff on GitHub. They'll do stuff on Twitter. They'll do stuff on LinkedIn. It doesn't really matter. Um, and and what, they'll basically say, great, Chrome go source this candidate for me. You just find a profile. Oh, you see someone um, on GitHub and it gives you a profile a of them. Uh-huh. Exactly. And then they'll say, Hey, here's the email to go email this person. Got it. So as uh, recruiters on the internet, they find somebody who's smart, who contributed to, to a project that they like, they get their contact information, get to send it out. So you're in the space. You did a little bit of the space. Then you leave the company and you say, I need to do something else. And what's, what's the path that goes from, I need to do something else to Dover. It's, it's not particularly glamorous to be honest. So I left Top Funnel and I wasn't really sure what I wanted to do next. Um, and two of my good friends who are now my co-founders were dabbling in the recruiting space. Um, and they weren't really sure. It was like really early days. They had just pivoted from doing stuff in real estate to recruiting. They were like about probably about a month into it or something. And they're like, George, come hang out with us. You've done recruiting stuff before. Like, you know, we're all friends. Let's, let's work on this. And for a long time, I was like, man, I don't really know if I want to do recruiting again. I don't know if I have this in mind. I kind of like learned the space Do I want to like jump into this again. Um, and ultimately, I guess like what convinced me or got me over the line is like, I'd known both of them for four or five years previous to that. Like Max and I had done some like side projects and stuff together before on Visha, my other co-founder, she's now married to my best buddy um, mm-hmm. from Stanford. And so it was like a very tight friend group and they've both known each other since like freshman year of MIT. And I was like, well, sure. Like I'll come hang out with you guys. And after a couple of months of working with them, I was like, well, it's kind of rare you get to work with two really good friends that you respect a lot. So that's more what made my decision rather than like, oh man, I got like the creme de la creme idea of like how we're going to go shake up this industry. Exactly. I, I don't, well, I don't know him super well, but Max was on Mixergy doing an interview a few years back. He was working on, um, on zinc.io. How do I explain what that is? That's that's a very complicated question. <laughs> uh, maybe I could start with this. It's software that builds. Um, it's basically it helps people manage what they're selling online, specifically on Amazon, right? Yeah, exactly. So a lot of drop shipping stuff is what they is what they focused on. And so then, what were you doing with him? What what are some of the side projects you did? Oh, so I used to have a very tiny uh, venture fund with a bunch of friends, and it was just kind okay. of our own money, and we all invested together. So him and I did some investments together and stuff. How much money did you put in? Um, we write very small checks, like 20 grand in the companies. It was just like, you know, 13 people got together, pulled some money and started writing very small checks together. How much so money did, was, you, put, did was, you personally put in? Into the fund? Yeah. Oh, I don't remember. Like, we're talking ballpark, a 10, 20,000 into the fund? Oh uh, yeah. Yeah. Like, I don't know, some number of tens. It wasn't like a huge amount of money. Or anything. How did you get that money? I'm looking at your background and it seems like oh. this is the biggest one, right? Dover is, is, is the monster. Well, I was in private equity before that. Um, oh, just money that you'd save from work. Yeah, exactly. Got exactly. it. And instead of being another person here in San Francisco saying, I'm going to invest, but running out of money quickly, you said, <laughs> let me get together with a dozen friends. We'll all pool our money, have a fun. Got it. And you're one of the people who helped make the decisions. We, we all were. It was just 13 of us. And it was all, okay. you know, we're all, we'd all know each other from work or from school or something previously. And it was just kind of our, you know, 
instead of buying a fancy car, we did this instead kind of money, I guess. I guess I prefer this. A fancy car um, loses value. This could this could potentially be a windfall. But more than that, this allows you to really understand the market, get to know people. What did, What are the memorable investments you made? It was, so we did a lot of publics as well, which is maybe, I don't know how interesting it is to folks, but like, you know, we like would invest in Verizon and we got like a 2X out of Verizon over like two years or something, um, which is like, you know, obviously like, you know, the top one is like hundred companies in the mm-hmm. world sort of thing. So it's not like the most sexy thing to invest in, but it was no. fun. And a lot of what it was, was us learning how larger companies work um, and trying to like understand, like not only the financials, but like what's the businesses, how do they talk about their businesses? How do these, these things get built? Um, so it was mostly kind of like an intellectual, like learning exercise for all of us about like, Would you just do it on a weekly basis where you get together and meet you do exactly so this is an it investment a, club. Exactly. That's exactly the right way to describe it. So it was like a Monday, Monday evenings, we sit around in the living room and everyone brings their various ideas. And we had like a three-stage process to, if we wanted, you know, as a group to make an investment in whatever company. And mostly it was just, we kind of, I think our charter was like for the enrichment of the partners, which was kind of our joke of saying we might end up losing money at the end of the day, but hopefully we learn a lot. Uh, so that was kind okay. of our explicit goal. No, I think that makes a ton of sense. There used to be clubs like this a lot in this country. And at some point we, we stopped doing it, but all right. So what were you going to say? Oh, I was gonna say, I think that happened a lot with like, I think finance used to be the place to be in terms of like, if you're like a smart person, like going to finance, there's like a ton of innovation and stuff going on there. And I think that's probably why a lot of these things existed 15, 20 years ago more. I think there's a lot of really interesting stuff happening in finance, but I think a lot of people, I think tech is now the behemoth where it's like, if you want to do something cool or like do something brand new Mm. or innovative, like I think a lot of energy gets sucked in that direction. Okay. So you guys got together, you learned a lot about, about how companies work, about how you think about investment and more importantly, I think to this story, you got to know the other people in the group. Then you're looking for the next thing to do. Your two friends say to you, all right, why don't you just come and watch what we're up to? And so you're watching uh, and and Visha, I'm pronouncing her name right? Yep, exactly. And yep. Visha Pai and Max uh, Kulish? Yep, you got it. Kulish. Yep. All right. Um, and what was it that they were doing that drew, that drew you in? What was it that was interesting? I think it wasn't. There wasn't much interesting going on. It was more about how they <laughs> worked together. It was just, uh, like the, it was just the way that in- they think. And it's like being in that fun club with them. Yeah. Again. It was, it was like a high level of like intellectual honesty of like, I don't know, is like an often is, is the answer. And I think when okay. you're in the really early stages of starting something, I've, I've, I call this the lost phase when you're like sitting in a room with a couple of friends and you're like trying to figure out like, okay, so what are we building? We have no customers. How is this going to work? And there's a lot of I don't knows in there. And I think sometimes people pretend to know a lot more than they do to kind of like get the thing pointed in some direction. And I think for us, it was a willingness to be wrong that I found very inspiring from both what of them. What were you wrong about? Everything. What you, um, like what? What do like, you, if you look back, what are some of the things? Just like very small decisions, about like how do customers, like, like how do you sell into recruiting, like, like to a hiring manager? Like what is their problem with recruiting? Like what is their pain? Um, and for a long time, we thought it was like, tools or we thought it was like oh you like need to monitor whatever systems or whatever and at the end of the day we found out like oh actually they just want better candidate flow that's all anyone ever really wants they want like to see more better candidates um and i think that that took us a minute to figure out and there was like a lot of iteration like trying to figure that out and the thing that i really thought working with them is like we can go have two conversations you're always acting as like low data environments which is hard to like say anything conclusively but like you're trying to make best guesses and it was like a no one was making a religious argument as to like, oh, this is exactly why this should work this way sort of thing. It was like, oh yeah, okay, mm-hmm. I guess it doesn't work. Let's try the next thing. Um, and I think that like pace and iteration was, and having known them from before, knowing that they were like 
you know, good people. I was like, this seems like even regards to the subject matter, it's like good people to work with. And like, we're going to figure something out. All right. How'd you get your first customer? Um, it's one of Max's friends. Okay. Um, I think basically what <laughs> happened and I think it's lucky all three of us had been founders before we had like reasonable networks. Um, and basically it was like, so you reach out to your friends when you have like a, like all products when I started, like not very good. Cause they just started. Right. Uh, and our plan was like, okay, we're just going to see, like, we know some folks, like, let's just ask them if they'll like pay us, to, like do some work for them. Essentially. And we're gonna try to build a product as fast as we can, to, like solve their problems. Um, and that's basically how we started. So it was a couple of Max's friends. I think we're like the first three customers actually. Um, and it was just like, cool, let's go, go see if we can like build something for them that's valuable. All right. And I guess you don't get paid unless you find them the, the right hire. Right. And so they don't have that much to lose. And meanwhile, they get a few smart people working on their, on their problem. Yeah. And we, we quickly learned from that. The earliest customers actually were just paying us a flat monthly fee. Cause they were just getting our, getting our time is oh, primarily okay. maxes on Visha's time. Um, okay. And it was a little bit more of like, I remember like on Visha, we, we'd go into the office and we had like this, like, you know, co-working space and we'd be like rushing in. Cause we'd be like talking about some product thing or something. And Visha come like run into the office being like, I need quiet space. I like interview a candidate, you know, we're like interviewing some like, I don't know, random sales role or something for one of our customers. And she was just like doing the recruiter phone screens and stuff and like trying to figure that out and like learn if there's like a product in that, how, how do you hold a first phone screen? Uh, and trying to discover that just kind of through uh, doing it. That maybe um, the first so phone screen. She was thinking maybe there's something in the first phone screen that we could systemize that we could create software for. Got it. So she's doing the work, but also constantly in the back of her head saying, is this something that we could automate? Is this something that we could systemize? Got it. Okay. It let took me us about a year and a half to get there to actually get that first round phone screen to that place, but we did, <laughs> we did end up getting it from there. So it was all these things that just like early days of just doing a lot of brute force work that, you know, if you repetition, you kind of learn how it works and you get to build it kind of an operational system around it. All right. I'm going to take a moment to talk about my first sponsor. It's a company called Overpass. Here's the idea, George. A lot of us think when it comes to selling that we just need to create a better sales page, a better sales flow. And truthfully, for a lot of products, it absolutely makes sense, right? If you're trying to sell something on your Shopify store for $20, maybe with another upsell, great. You don't need any more than that. But when it comes to higher-end sales, like $1,000, $3,000, $5,000 sale, you want to have a conversation with the customer. The customer demands a conversation with you. The question is, how can you add sales to your business, sales calls, sales people, sales, even sales emailers who are human beings who are customizing and writing the messages? Well, that's where Overpass comes in. They created a marketplace where what they have is salespeople. Sometimes it's that hotshot person early in their career who's looking to just do work remotely to to decide how much money they want to make and really take their finances into their hands. Sometimes it could be a parent who's a stay-at-home parent who says, while the kids are in school, I have a few hours and I'm not here to be a pushy salesperson, but I'm more of a chatty salesperson. And if that's your vibe, they've got that on their marketplace too. You go to Overpass, you get a sense of who they are. You can hire them. You can bring them on board. You can use Overpass's software to monitor the interaction, to make sure that they're doing what they need to do. And frankly, you could spin it up, you could spin it down and the pricing is reasonable. In fact, I'm on there. I'm on this page and I'm about to give people right now. And I could see Nick F $12 an hour financial services. He, uh, he spent two years in and, and I could actually hit a button here and hear his voice. I'm not going to, I should also say it's not just $12 an hour, $12 an hour and commission, right? You're giving them an incentive to close a sale. 
So if you're out there and you're looking to hire salespeople, you want to bring a voice to your sales process, a human being to your sales process, go to overpass.com slash Mixergy. When you throw the slash Mixergy at the end, they'll take great care of you. They'll give you a discount that other people aren't getting. And more importantly, you're just going to learn how to add this new tool to your business, to your tool set. Write it down, overpass.com slash Mixergy. All right. You're making those calls. She's making those calls. You're working What's the, at that point, you're saying we're going to do everything for our clients. They just pay us per hour. How does that turn into a million dollar recurring business? What's the next step? So <laughs> it's a great question. I laugh because it, it, in hindsight, it always sounds like, oh yeah, that's how you got there. But in real life, it's like, oh man, there's a lot of iteration, a lot of struggling. So one thing that we learned pretty early on was people, the customer thinks they need like if you reach out to the right person, they'll be interested and will come join your business. So we started with basically going through and sourcing candidates for customers and going through their inbound uh, candidates. So a lot of the, the companies we're working with, even I put a little more meat on the bones, are probably like most from like 40, even to say they're most like 40 person businesses plus or minus. Um, but our, I'm thinking of our first three customers are all kind of 40 person businesses as well, actually. And they, you know, they have a ATS where hundred applicants have applied and no one's ever reviewed them before. Um, cause the hiring manager is too busy or maybe they've fallen through the cracks for some reason. Um, and we're like, okay, cool. We're going to come in and like clean up all your stuff. Um, and when we start doing that, the first version of that first couple of customers, like, okay, great. Let's just read through all the applications. I was doing that really early days. Like I'm just gonna read through all the applications and pull up the good ones. And then next it was like, oh, okay, well these AT, they're called ATSs where these applications What's are ATS? Applicant tracking system. Ah, uh, okay. That's those Trello like boards where you get to yeah. keep track. Okay. Uh-huh. Exactly. Exactly right. So they're the ATSs. And then we learn like, oh my gosh, these guys have APIs. So we start building. So we, our next thing is like, okay, cool. Let's pull the data out of them and see if we can do this. Like still Georgian spreadsheet, but instead of flipping through the UI, it's like Georgian spreadsheet written through them now. Oh, so and you could take next- all the data. So basically the way these work is a candidate will apply. They'll upload their, their resume. You're saying that this software will let you, let you, George, and this company that becomes Dover suck the data out and then extract it in an organized way so you could put it into a spreadsheet. Ah. Well, the organization was not so much there for them. That was the hard part of figuring this out. But at first it was just like, I'm just reading a PDF resumes. Then it was like, okay, cool. How can we turn those like, and I'm just trying to get through hundreds of these a day, right? It was like miserable work. Yeah, but by the way, uh, aren't you aren't you the person who told me that you went to a job where you had a stack of resumes and the boss said, let's take half of them and throw it in the garbage, uh, right? Yeah, well, you, exactly. why don't you tell that story? Yeah, no, this is a this is also like part of the inspiration for recruiting in general, because I think so much of it is luck, which is unfortunate for both the company and the candidate, where it's just like, you may not get the best person and the best person may not get noticed. Um, so yeah, this is a goofy story. Um, so this is three jobs here for me. I was at a startup. We were about hundred people then. Um, I was on the finance team and I was tasked with hiring a financial analyst. Um, and so what I did is I threw up the job ad on, I think I put it up on like LinkedIn and indeed in like one or two of the websites. And I got like, I think like 200 applicants over the course of like a week. It was like nuts. Um, and I'm like, this is the first time I've ever really hired anyone. So I'm trying to be like super thorough and diligent, like do everything. So I'm just like reading all these resumes. And I'm flipping through them on my screen. And I spent many hours. My boss comes by when he's like, are you still looking at resumes, man? And I'm like, yeah. And he's like, okay, what'd you gotta do? Print them all out. And I'm like, why would I print them all out? That seems like ridiculous. And he goes, you gotta print them all out and put them on your desk and take the top half and throw them in the trash. And I was like, why would I do that? And he goes, you gotta do it. Cause those are the unlucky folks. 
and you don't want to work somebody's unlucky. And obviously he was like being facetious in this, but like that really kind of, that story really sticks with me is like, this is how a lot of recruiting decisions get made, which is there's a lot of arbitrary luckiness things that happen. Because who can sit and read through all those resumes and get the meaning of a person, right? If you think about my resume, it doesn't really at all, not really, it doesn't at all capture what I'm doing. And so you are then saying, there, these, the software that our clients are using is spitting out these PDFs. I need to make sense. First, you're reading it, but then you say, I need to make sense of it in some way. How do you turn that into data you could make sense of and work with? Totally. So a lot of it was like first learning how to structure that data. I've said like, great, like what are the different sections of a resume essentially and trying to break that down to a scientific level and also try to enrich it with other data sources as well. So, okay, great. They may not, maybe they said this on like, you know, their GitHub account, or they like wrote all this code, but they didn't mention that they're like big Python users in their resume or something like that. And the customer is really hung up on like, I need them to have like a lot of Python experience. But how do you, how um, do you extract it, that data from the PDF in the first place? And then how are you enriching it? Exactly. So there's like unique identifiers across a person, right? Like some of it can be as simple as like an email address. And it's like, there's only one email address per person and you can match it. Or like maybe it's the GitHub URL in that, in that resume, right? That links to it and you can map off of that or something. Some people have really bespoke names and you can map off those things as well. And are you doing manually or you're using something like what, Clearbit to do it? No, that's all. We can, we're able to pull these different sources. We have a bunch of different data providers we use. That's to, today, but when you were doing it back then and just putting oh, back, it into a oh, spreadsheet. Oh, hundred percent manual. I'm just like looking on, like, I'm like logging into my GitHub account, like saying like, hey, what did this guy do over here? Like, that's ah, <laughs> just manually doing it. There was no software. Is there software that will take a PDF and extract all the key data and put it into a, into a spreadsheet? Um, there are, and there are varying levels of goodness on that. We've ended up building a lot of stuff around this um, to like structure resume data. We had to build it okay. in-house eventually, but like there are things where you can like, oh yes, something like, you can write simple regexes as well that like pull out a phone number or pull out an email address or whatever. Got it. And so in the beginning you were doing that and putting it into Airtable and then, is that right? So yes, every exactly. time a, a client would get a new candidate, your, you first started reading it. Then the next step was let's pull some software together that will extract the relevant data and put it in an air table where you in the beginning were looking them up the way I might, if someone emailed me and saying, who are they, what have they done? And then adding it to your air table, you then created software that would do that and pull that into air table. And now you're starting to deal with structured data. It's still George evaluating it, but it's now George evaluating structured data. And I'm guessing once you have structured data, you could eventually say, we can have software evaluate whether this is important or not. Got it. That's okay. That was exactly, yes, you just read with wow. the whole business in that, in that paragraph. That's exactly what happened. So it was like, get it structured, then start learning like how to evaluate folks. Um, and how do we match what that hiring manager is looking for? This seems like, it seems so elegant when you said no code solution, like, oh, of course, no code. It's great. But in reality, we're looking at chaos that has order, but also someone needs to pull out the meaning from it. And it's still you in a spreadsheet pulling out the meaning and saying, who on the Kanban board that is our hiring process should get to move from one step to the next. And you're using the spreadsheet to tell you that and eventually to trigger a, move, a message to, to move their card one step over in the Kanban board so your client knows it's time to write. Got it. Okay. That's, that's, that's what you're trying to do. That's What's, exactly right. And, and you're talking about that, like Kanban board of like moving those people across. That was that process element I was trying to describe. I think you actually described it in a very elegant way now. So it's like, they're at a stage, do we advance them or not? And what is that trigger point that's going to make that decision for that? And that's what Dover is also around. Like, let's make sure, oh, the, the hiring manager decided, yes, they passed my, you know, take-home assessment or whatever. Great. Let's like schedule the next round of interview for them. So that's where, you know, after doing a bunch of scheduling, you kind of like learn the processes. Like, how do you schedule an interview? How does this work? What's the best way of doing this? What are the systems around that? And that's so that really that process-driven part of our software now. Okay. 
but throughout what you were doing when you were doing no code is pulling data from what your client already has, structuring it, evaluating it, and then pushing it back through the system that exists and then saying, what of this can be structured better and what could be analyzed by software instead of human beings? And that's the work that you did. It's still a lot of work to get to a million dollars. I'm guessing that you also had, um, that you also had, that you also made money when you closed a sale that you were basically becoming headhunters at that point, right? So we never really did the whole like pay for hire thing um, because what we were doing was a lot of like cleaning of people's stuff and all this process automation as well that we're kind of talking about. It's not traditionally what a headhunter does. A headhunter is more of like lead gen. So you hire a headhunter, they're going to charge you 20% of a hire. Um, it's typically kind of what the market yields. So get 20% of a hire's first year salary. First year salary. So yeah. these things are often are in the, you know, if you're hiring like an engineer, making 150, like you spend 225 grand, I think is the math on that, the 30 grand if you're paying 20%. Um, so it's pretty expensive work essentially, but they have a they have a really difficult business contingency recruit. They're called contingency, the headhunters. Um, it's, they have a very difficult business because none of the companies are invested in them. They have like a candidate pool they're working with and they have like five or 10 really great folks they're working with. And they're just trying to put them in any company they can so they can get paid. Um, and it's a very, very tough business because the companies don't treat them very well. Um, Cause it's all like hyper transactional. Like I didn't pay you anything. If you hire me someone great, I'll pay you. If not, which I assume you're going to fail. That's why I'm going to pay this exorbitant mm -hmm. fee. Okay. All right. So then how do you get to, to a million dollars? What were you charging? How many clients did you have? So yeah, we probably had, I don't remember the number of clients. I think we had, we were charging about $5,000 a month um, for it. And we were basically like offsetting, you know, hiring a person going through and like trudging through resumes basically, and doing outreach to candidates and scheduling all these things. And at the beginning, it was like, we started to get some software. I say like there was no software. It was like very, very limited software going on in this getting up to a million. Mm -hmm. Like there was like, you know, there were some zaps between, mm -hmm. you know, Airtable and a G sheet that went to a, um, to went to Google to send out an email, like some of that stuff going on. We were using like a, a tool that had, um, an email tool called reply.io back then that like was good at like sending bulk emails. <laughs> so we like, they had an API and it played nice with Zapier. So we're able to like send things from these different trigger points. And you have a checkbox in mm -hmm. uh, Airtable and it shoots off the email and that sort of stuff. So it was like very, it's all like no code tools. There might've been like a couple of things that we wrote, both my, both on VSure and Max are like engineers, um, like computer science folks from MIT. So they're, they're pretty good. Uh, but early days, it was really just trying to like figure out the right product for folks rather than like trying to, design the right system um, okay. or like from our belief set at least. So $5,000 a year, 5,000 a month, you are basically getting 60,000 a year from a client. You need 16, 17 clients to hit a million dollars, yeah, right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And what you're saying to them is you're going to hire somebody to look at resumes all day and pay them 60,000, give it to us. We'll do the same work. We'll probably do it better for you. That's, that's an interesting uh, model. I didn't realize that that there were resume readers who were getting paid 60,000 a year. Oh, they make way more than, at least in the, in the Valley and in New York, they're making way more than that. To just go through resumes and say, this is a yes, this is a no. Oh yeah, for sure. And then like coordinate those interviews and stuff. And it's, it's difficult. Like there's a lot of moving bits in this, um, in these systems and making sure like, oh, the oh, candidate Because it's not just reading it. It's, it's a candidate asks a question, you need to respond. It's scheduling them, got it. It's this whole thing. And is that when you said, we've got our business. If we could just be, what's the name of that role in a bit, in a company? it's kind of, so it's close to recruiting, but recruiters do a lot more than that as well than just this. It's part of what they do. Some people call them sourcers. 
some people call them recruiting coordinators. We kind of pick up different bits of all these different roles, but yep. it's not like an exact one-to-one exchange on these things. Why did you go to Y Combinator? You finally nailed this. You know the problem. You guys are developers. You can finally sit down and code. Why do you go to Y Combinator? So Max had been through Y Combinator before, actually, Zinc, the company you referenced previously. Um, had a great experience. On Visha, I really wanted to go through the experience. Um, I was more neutral on it. Um, so we went through it. And it was it was really wonderful. Um, it was definitely something that like, I look back on that experience and like, it wasn't since we were all been founders before we all kind of like knew how to get like the first couple of customers and kind of like do a sale and like, you know, promise something then over deliver on it. Like this basic business fundamentals. Um, but the thing that I found really useful out of it was the open conversations about people struggling and like trying to find their next break in building out the business. Um, I found that really inspiring that people were just so open and like sharing their problems. I could learn from their problems. The other thing that they gave me was like, they gave me great language to talk about our business problems. Um, that I found really helpful. Like, how did they do that? It's just, I think maybe this is one of those things like being around people who are working on, you know, we're all working on very different problems, but mm-hmm. it's the ecosystem of like, oh, we're all like trying to make our businesses work. And there's this massive struggle with that. And like one thing that like really entered my lexicon out of this was I previously didn't talk about product market fit enough. Um, and it was, I was always thinking about it, but I didn't really use that language to describe why I thought it was more important that we solve the product problem rather than like the sales problem. And that was like a big mistake I made in my first company that I had learned um, by the time I'd gotten to Dover. But you and I had like, a conversation about this. What you're saying is your thinking in the past was if sales aren't high, we need to sell more and get better at sales. Why Combinator said to you, if sales aren't high, get back to fixing the product. If you're talking to your existing customers, it's better than getting new customers to grow sales because that's going to help you improve the product, right? That's exactly right. That's exactly right. And I think that's a, there's a lot of ego check in that as well. Um, like it's easy thing to say. I think it's another thing to be like, maybe my product isn't right. Um, it's not, it's not doing the right thing after I've had this like vision that I've been working on for whatever hundreds, millions of hours sort of thing to say, Oh, maybe, maybe I need to rethink this. this isn't quite the right thing. It's not solving a person's problem clearly enough. So I don't understand that. I thought that Y Combinator was about how do you grow, focus on growth? The reason you're there is to focus on growth. You can get growth so much faster by selling more customers than by fixing the pro- the product, which may or may not get customers in the next, what, your three months in the program, right? Yeah. Yeah. I think that there's, there's definitely like, I think that there's, I think some founders get stuck in the phase of, I'm going to work on this project. Um, and the people will come almost to keep my head down working on this thing. And then I'll go, go get customer feedback. Um, and I think that's bad. And I think that's kind of what the, when we talk about, or when you mentioned growth, I think the part is like, you have to go out to market and like try to sell whatever it is you're building to see if people like it enough to buy it. Cause if people don't like it enough to buy it, it means your product might not be right. So I think there's like a, you know, it's not like you try to optimize the heck out of your sales process early days. I think that's kind of the, and that's what I tried to do in my last business, which was wrong. Um, was trying to do too much sales too early and like thinking about how to you know, optimize the sales funnel when reality okay. was like, let's just make the product better. But I see that as a long-term solution to sales and growth. Doesn't Y Combinator want short-term growth too? They want it within this. Yeah. So how do you do that? How does fixing the product get you that growth? Yeah. So I think it's a lot about like, it's about learning the problem. And I think that that's maybe something like when we talk about like Dover's really early day product, it was a bunch of, like I'm saying, a bunch of spreadsheets and air tables and things all tied together and stuff it was very easy for us to change stuff quickly to try to meet the person's problem. So I don't know if you want to call that like product work or just listening to our customers needs and maybe that sales work. And you're, it's kind of, I think it's all kind of mushy in some ways of like, 
we're asking them what they want. They're telling us one thing, right? Okay, great. Then we should either decide to go build that thing or not build that thing for them and you know, try to deliver that solution that they need. So I think it's kind of like translating that, whatever the market is saying, into like something actionable um, that we can go do as a business to like solve that pain. Did your sales grow while you were in Y Combinator or did yes. you just spend time? They did. How? Yeah. I don't remember. I bet you they went up. I don't know. They probably like doubled or something like that. Oh, like our, oh wow. No, I meant what did you do that got them to double? Them? Oh, that's impressive. I think it was like, it was, it was a lot of like just putting ourselves out there more, uh, which I think people shouldn't be scared of and just asking more people like, Hey, would this be useful for them? And then also just like trying to build really quickly. Um, and we built a lot of product breadth very fast. And I think this is because it was so little code. It was just like, okay, yeah, well, I'll just zap and I'll do that thing now too. And I'll talk to this other spreadsheet that does this other thing you guys need to happen. Um, so we were able to help tackle a lot of people's problems quickly. So we built like a horribly unsustainable system early days. Um, but that was kind of on purpose to try to, to try to get the growth and to get like learning about the market, to learn people's problems more deeply. So first set of customers came from you going after your friends, your team's friends, right? <laughs> Which is great. Yes. Did you also use uh, the, the Y Combinator network since Max was in it before to get customers? I'm imagining. The, very little. Um, most of it were actually his friends from MIT, I think, who were like, who were like huh. founders of other businesses and stuff that okay. were, you know, like I was saying, 30, 40, 50 person businesses that were like, had growing pains that we were able to go help. Okay. And so then the next batch of customers came from what? Being in Y Combinator? It was mostly word of mouth from the first batch of customers. Um, I think that was the, I think if you have good product market fit, most of your sales should come from other people talking about your product, that people are excited about it. They're hanging out with a friend, they're having a beer or whatever they're, you know, and like hanging out at the beach and they're just going to bring this up. Um, that this is like, oh yeah, we got this new thing. It's really cool. It does X, Y, Z. And we've been really enjoying it. And I think that's the strongest kind of that's always the best kind of market. It's always the best kind of sale. Like even to today, we don't do any, like we've done like essentially very close to zero marketing. We've done like zero outbound sales. It's always been people who are interested in trying it out and want to learn about it. They've heard about it from some way, probably a friend is most likely. That sound was me actually look, trying to look at your site on a, uh, on a <laughs> private browser to see, to see what you're doing for traffic. What I don't see anything. So I, I went to SEMrush, my sponsor to see what are you doing to get traffic to your site? I don't see a lot. I see that you've clearly been improving since let's say December of last year, since January of 2021, right? Yep. But I, I don't see a lot of content marketing there, right? No, it's it's pretty basic. Um, we've, we've, like I said, it's been mostly product driven. I think that's something that we've cared a lot about is trying to build something that people will be really excited about and that they're gonna talk. Um, and that's really like, I would say 90% of energy. It's actually making fun with Max this morning. We were looking at our website um, and we were discussing like, well, you know, well, there's not a very good call to action on it. It's like, I think it's like book a time to talk or something like that is a call to action, which is like very weak. Um, and we were discussing like, hey, we should probably like- It's get in that. touch. Get in touch. Great. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. Which is like not the strongest call to action you've ever heard. So we were discussing that. We're like, maybe we should change that up. Um, I don't know. It's been our website for- I don't know, five, six months, something like that doesn't have been much changes. So it's probably time for us to like go back and lean a little bit into this as we get a little bit bigger and like try to make optimize these systems so. a bit more. And, and you but. should, you know what? And you should go sign up for SEMrush. Go use my free account, mixergy.com slash SEMrush. 
you know what? It's not, I don't want to downplay what you do. One of the things that you do that is smart is you've got these tools, right? Like you have a, uh, what was it? You call them tools, but there's the rejection email list where I give you my email address. You give me a bunch of rejections that I can send out to candidates who I didn't hire, which is incredibly useful. And I imagine people are searching for it. You also uh, created the one soft landing website, which is whenever there's a company that does layoffs. I remember coming into this when Dropbox had a bunch of people laid Mm. off. And Mm -hmm. I think I saw it on Hacker News where there was this post that said, we are adding it to our site where you can hire people from Dropbox, right? Yep. That's that's smart. There's somebody who's doing some kind of search engine optimization, some thought about marketing, right? I think like search engine optimization might be a charitable way of talking about what we're doing. I think we we think about this very basic, like can we just create some value for some folks? Um, And like we call them, like you said, like those tools are just like free things that we think are cool. The, the one soft lending one started during COVID because um, there was a ton of companies that did massive layoffs very mm-hmm. early in COVID. And we're, we're, we always work with the company side, right? We don't work with candidates. So we're sitting there, I think we're like a six person company when COVID hits and we're trying to figure out like, okay, like we might enter, you know, the stock market halves, we might enter like a huge recession here for who God knows how long. Maybe recruiting isn't really a thing. We had to like, kind of like a, a moment with ourselves around like, what are we going to build? And one soft landing was one of those things that we were like, okay, cool. Maybe we can like help candidates find jobs. Um, how can we do that? Oh, that was you trying to rethink your whole business model. Yes. Oh, that's why of all the tools, that's the one that has its own domain. Yes. And the business exactly. model was going to be what? We didn't know. It was just like, we kept the existing business running and we're, but we were like kind of hedging our bets of like, this might not, like the market may not want our solution anymore. So we started doing that just as like a nice thing to do. Um, like for market folks. research. That's a nice thing. Maybe market research. Maybe all these people will tell you God knows what. It's like, I don't know how to find the right company. And then you create the company search tool. Got it. Wow. I had no idea. I do remember those times where people were laying off and it seemed like, wow, recruiting was just a terrible business to be in oh, because yeah. companies are going to be scaling down for a long time. And we might've been overbuilt with recruiting. Got it. All right. I want to find out what happened to you uh, during that period. But first, let me close out uh, the, the mention of SEMrush. In fact, I might as well just turn it into an ad for SEMrush. George, whenever your team is ready to do content marketing, to say, you know what? Tools are great, but let's not sit around and intuit what we think that the world needs. Let's see what they're searching for. What are our clients searching for? What are they searching for? And leading? it's leading to our competitors what are competitors doing a crap job doing, right? You can just go in, search for one of your competitors, see the keywords that are sending traffic to your competitors, see the pages that it's going over to, and then say, you know what? We could do a better job than they did. They're getting kind of lazy. They haven't improved it in a while. And they're getting all this traffic from it. Great. We'll copy that and improve it. Whenever you want to start thinking that way in a systematic way, I'm going to let you use, well, I don't it's not going to be around for long, so you better use it quickly. It's mixergy.com slash SEMrush. They're going to let you use it for free. Um and it's available for a limited time. And I know it's a limited time because the after each mention, they turn it on and then they turn it off. And then I get a bunch of emails from people saying, Andrew, this doesn't work anymore. And keep emailing me because what I do is I take them one at a time and I send them over to SEMrush and SEMrush will activate just those people. But if you don't want that, that interaction, just go jump in and use it right now for that free. Cool. All right, mixergy.com slash SEMrush. All right, uh, when it... When it hit, you'd already raised money, right? So you had some money in the bank, so you were safe. How much did yep. you raise? We raised three million. Three million. It was in, it was in the August. 
Oh, so yeah. months before, and then yeah. months before, and then at what point did you say we're going to rewrite everything that we did into our own software? <laughs> that was when uh, John joined our first engineer, uh, the team, and I think he saw what uh, Max had hacked together largely. <laughs> he was like, "Oh Lord, um, this is not going to get you guys much further than where we currently were." Um, so um, that's when we really started rewriting. So I think it was like September after he joined. We did this. Um, very goofy thing early days when he was kind of like learning how Dover worked and like, because we had this very large product space that was very much a mess. Um, and so one of the things, I think this is like his like second week at work and we had just gotten an office as well. Um, and he said, he came in one day, we're doing like some product planning meeting and he's like, hey, what if we do like a, what if we work like a firefighter schedule? And we're like, John, what, what does that mean? He's like, well, so help me ramp up faster. And I'm like, okay, yeah, but what's a firefighter schedule? And we're like, what if we just like live in the office for like four days straight and then we take a three-day weekend and I can just like focus really deeply on that for that time. We can like, we can like rebuild a lot of stuff very quickly because we'll all be in the same room together and it's not like being distracted by customers and stuff. And we were like, okay, cool. So we did a one-week firehouse where we all just bought air mattresses and like slept on the office floor for a week um, and did that. And then like he ramped up and we like rebuilt a lot of our code base. Wow. But, like code base during that time and actually turned it into like, you know, got into like a, we like moved off of like Airtable and like Postgres and like started building like proper things. Okay. Um, so that was kind of during, during that phase early on in the company's life. We also learned if you're going to do a firehouse, you have to have a, a shower in the office. It was not pretty by, by the end of it. That was, a, that was a learning for us. I do wish that all offices had showers. I mean, as someone who likes <laughs> to run into work, I want a shower, mm -hmm. as, right? You're sleeping at the office, you want a shower. People cycle into the office. Uh, shower. I don't, I don't need a foosball table. I don't need any of those other benefits. Just give me a private shower. I don't want anyone else in there. <laughs> you don't want your coworkers just like, <laughs> no, no coworkers to see my legs. I should just go in there, shower up and then go into work. It's such a, it's such a helpful tool. All right. And so you built it up and then revenue is now growing. You're understanding how to talk to, to customers about your product. And then the product, when you built it, the first version did what, when it was all software, not Airtable. That's actually a really, so I think there's like various parts. There's like the move off of Airtable, which I think is like a, a defined point in the company's life, but there's still like things that we do to today that we know are manual that we need to automate um, over time. And I think there's like a large part of that in our DNA is a business around, we'd rather ship a new feature and just do it manually for the first month and see how it works for a customer. And then, oh, if they're loving it, great. Okay, now let's like put it in the product roadmap and start building. Um, so I think that's still, so I don't know if there was ever like a moment where I was like, Dover was fully, autonomous. I do remember the time we got the resume reader to work, which was a big win for us. Like that's me going through and like reading all these things. I think that was, I think it was February. I think it was like right before coronavirus happened. It was like, that was when we really got that thing working. Um, and like everything was actually like, I, like Anvish and I weren't like reviewing candidates anymore. And that was a huge, huge win for us. Okay. Then coronavirus hits, people start doing layoffs by the way, I, what I love about that site that you created, what is it, One Soft Landing, is it's beautifully done, but it's <laughs> it's done using Webflow. So you're yes. just quick. And then I said, how are they putting all this data into some like structured system? You're not. A lot of companies just happen to have spreadsheets with the people yeah. who volunteered on their company after they left to be public. And so you're just linking into that, which is phenomenal. Some of these companies have email addresses of the people who were laid off. Others just have LinkedIn contact information. Some have gotten real detailed about the kind of work that they're looking for when they're available. All you did was just link to that. I just love the, the speed at which you work. Yeah, it was a, it was a very base. I think we built that in like a week or something like that was really what it was. It was just like, get something out there. And then we were... 
lucky, I guess, like after Corona, like we had a couple months where it was like, Ooh, things are getting a little hairy. And I think mm-hmm. by basically about this time last year is when things started to pick back up again. So I guess June. By June. Um, so March companies were shutting down. Oh, April, yeah. there was a, there was an iffiness March things were shutting down. Uh, May you guys were in what the hell ter- ter- territory. And then June yeah. comes around and you're back. And the reason that you're back, as I understand it is companies didn't just let go of their, their team of people, members of their team. They also let go of their recruiters and now they needed to build back up because they also were scared and didn't think they were going to hire. Turns out that in certain spaces like tech, of course, yeah, it, there was just a huge growth and they needed someone to help them grow fast. And that's where you guys came in. Yep, exactly. There was a huge, it was a huge boom of like people, there's a bunch of demand all of a sudden. I think that people had really, I think a lot of businesses really overcorrected. I'd actually be, I don't, I'm sure some, someone smart will do some sort of survey at some point. That's like of the businesses you do these large layoffs, like, you know, was that, was it the, not was it the right move at that time, but if you had it over again, would you have done it? Because I think it's a really interesting question. And I think that like, I, I hope someone goes and does that analysis and says, I know there was some like huge, I remember like Toast laid off like half their employees or something. It was like 1200 people or something crazy. And so people like really went to, went to that extreme. And I think a lot of businesses really overcorrected. Um, I think you're right. I think there's like, some business that overcorrected, but also, and you tell me anecdotally, I'm hearing that there's some businesses that overcorrected, but actually ended up liking going slimmer and starting mm-hmm. again, stronger. It, yeah. it really hardened the the team made them smaller, you know, got rid of a lot of other expenses. There's, there's definitely a thing around also like writing out a problem together as a team that makes a team really strong and really high performant and high trusting as well. So I think that there, there were like a lot of like silver linings on the cloud of it. Um, but I think that's one of the reasons that like we really kind of took off afterwards as well. So it was kind of, I think it was a nice, like we, we got tailwinds out of it after the initial lull of everyone being very nervous Then it was kind of tailwinds for us. And it was a lot of word of mouth where people were coming back to you. And at that point, you were, what was it that attracted them? The, we'll just put out the resumes. I'm sorry. Well, I guess the, the, the thing that you were offering was if they put their, their uh, jobs up on job boards, you would then help facilitate the rest of the process up to, well, for including sometimes talking to the candidates, reviewing the resumes, et cetera, and then sending them a stream of people they could talk to. Not a big spreadsheet with all of them, but three a day, and then the next day, another three, and they just need to follow up with those candidates. But they know that George and his team at Dover, they vetted this these group of people, and they just have to focus on the top people. Yeah, that's exactly- That's it. That's it, yeah. It was, it's like in some ways, it's like very, very simple. I think the other thing is around like helping figure out where where's the right place to post the job. You can go spend a bunch of money on different bunch, a bunch of different platforms, but what's the optimal one if you're trying to hire, you know, an IT specialist is going to be a very different place that you want to post your job. If you're trying to close like an account executive or you're looking for like, but a, I, I, that seems like that might be intuitive at this point. What's, what's a surprise place to put it? Well, in? I think some people say like, so I would say if you're trying to hire an IT person, I'd put that on Indeed and I would not put it on LinkedIn or I'd put most 80% of your spend. So you have to figure out how much money you're going to spend on advertising all these different platforms, right? I think like Indeed's really, really great at those positions. If you're going to like an accounting executive, like LinkedIn's a great place to post those jobs and, and put a bunch of money behind those ads to drive, to drive those folks in. Because at the end of the day, like salespeople spend a lot of time on LinkedIn. That's a great place to advertise to them on. Um, so there's a bunch of different, we call them personas internally, but like based on that persona you're trying to hire for, there's, a, there's an optimal strategy to get there and actually can save companies money at the end of the day as well. And you're also helping them write that... Um 
that ad, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The job description. The job description. At the end of the day, yeah, that's right. Exactly but, right. So essentially, it's they place the ad with your guidance. You give them the best candidates for their needs. We actually post the ad forum now as well. So they say, "Hey, we're looking for a X, Y, and Z." We say, ah. "Great. Here's the right recruiting strategy to get this person that we think is going to save you the most amount of money and get you the best people in the door." And then we'll march those people, those candidates through the recruiting process as well. I wonder if we even need to mention the end-to-end. Now I'm on like the marketing team with you. I wonder if you need to mention the end-to-end recruiting process. I wonder if it just needs to be, like, give us your your uh, job openings and we'll give you the best candidates. I think that's, I think that's a great way to, to, to describe it. But yeah, that's exactly it. Uh, but yeah, and what do you charge for that? So yeah, so companies start with us at $3,000 a month. Um, is how they start, then is based on the number of jobs we're supporting for them and their company size. So kind of there's a spreadsheet that we calculate it with um, around how much to charge folks. Wow. How long did it take? So this this basically nailed it then. Now we've got a business that makes sense at a time when people are looking for it, right? And you now it seems to me, you know what you need to do, which is just automate more for your customer, right? Yeah. It's 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 take on more of the problems that they're having. And like as we get deeper and deeper into it, like there's just forever more problems. Like one of the things we haven't bought, bitten off yet that we really want to do is like on-site scheduling, which is very complicated at a 40 person company. Cause you got your CEO and your head of whatever, who wants to talk to me, your head of this other group that wants to talk to me. I make sure all the schedules line up and stuff. And that's something that like we we're going to be building product around. Um, it's just kind of, we know we have to do it. It's just a matter of when basically. It's, so- it's how do you unify everyone's calendar into one set of availability. So if the CEO and the uh, head of corporate social responsibility needs to be there with with the recruiter from the company, you need all their calendars to line up with the candidate's calendar or to present the candidate with all the availability. Exactly. Yeah, and it. like one of the tricky things with that, for example, is like the CEO might be in back-to-backs all day, uh, but some of those meetings are movable and you have to kind of like figure out which uh, ones are movable. Yeah, it's like, yeah, oh yeah. great, the candidate can come through on this day then. Um, so it's very, these are like, tricky problems to sort out that we've just kind of been burning them down one by one. Wow. I, the, the rest of it seemed easy. How do you know when a meeting is movable? They have to tell yeah, you so somehow? There's like, is there like, it's heuristics is how you start always on these things. Right. So it's like, if I see it's a one-on-one and they both have the same email address or like same domain, then like probably movable because it's mm-hmm. a one-on-one check-in sort of thing. So you can move that stuff around. Um, so there's all sorts of things like that you can get into. One sec, George. Olivia, do you need me? No, we're going to fix it. All right. Can, can you give me five minutes? Yeah, thank you. All right. I'm keeping this in the recording. So Olivia is giving a big presentation to her company and I'm the IT person in the house. So I've connected her into internet and she's saying that there's some kind of lag in her system, which I don't know why there would be. And I'm going to fix it. Are you, you're working from home, right? Yes. You think you're going to do full remote? No, we are. <laughs> We actually um, just put, I think we're going to be split. So right now we're about 35 folks in total and there's about 12 in San Francisco, 12 in New York, and the remaining folks kind of scattered around. And we're going to end up, I think, with both the New York and the San Francisco office um, since folks want to come in. I think that, I, I think we're overestimating people's willingness to work from home, right? Like, look at this. There's a lag in internet. We have two different Comcast business internet. Well, Somebody's got to solve it, right? And make sure yeah. that it works. They're not, it's not Comcast. And then there are all these other random things that come up from working from home. Um, and, and one of them is just, you you want somebody to be there to talk to and to work things out with. Um, I, I've been to the office once 
um, uh, on has a co-working space. I went and met with her and one other person on the team. And it was like such a rush of like, oh my gosh, I'm like out of the house. I had like put real pants on. This is like nuts. I had to like <laughs> talk with people in the, like in the real life. This is crazy. So I don't know if that was just like my excitement about just being out of the house. And that was like novel or if it's something here to stay, like we're pretty, at least like our business, we were treating is like very open around like, what do people want to do? And like, whatever works best for them. We don't really care is whatever you have most fun with. Um, but I'm curious to see, like, do people come in just a couple of days a week and that's what it looks like? Or do people love coming in or people maybe don't like it? it? And in a year from now, we just don't have offices. No one likes it. Like I could see a total state change like that as well happening. All right. The website for anyone who wants to go check you out is dover.com. I freaking love that domain. How much did you pay for it? Um, I don't remember. Such a good domain name. Even thank someone you. like me who can't spell can spell it. D-O-V-E-R.com. I want to thank the two sponsors who made this interview happen. The first, if you're doing any kind of content marketing or if you're doing even social media marketing, I guess that's content marketing too, you need to go see why so many people who I interview are using SEMrush. And the best way to do it is to go get it for free right now. I'm giving you a URL available right now for free if you go to Mixergy.com slash SEMrush. SEMrush is S-E-M-R-U-S-H. And I want to thank my second sponsor. If you're hiring a salesperson, if you say to yourself, you know what, maybe we should add a voice, a human being to help close sales, to help bring sales in, go to overpass.com slash Mixergy. They'll take great care of you. They'll give you a great price if you use that URL. And, and frankly, just see your option. You should know that you can hire people to be the voice of your company and to help close sales. Overpass.com slash Mixergy. George, thank you. I'm going to rush out and go help Olivia with tech support, but I appreciate you coming on here. And I'm hoping the two of us will get to have a drink at some point. Most definitely. Thank you for having me. Thanks, man. Bye. Bye, everyone.